Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, get it? With episode 183 of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again, and boy, oh boy, do we have a show for you today. This is a double episode, a two for Thursday If you will, the Silver King will be breaking down everything that happened Tuesday night on NXT. We will provide you with an ultimate preview for NXT Great American Bash next week. And we will break down not one, but two episodes of AEW Dynamite as AEW prepares to hit the road for their special show cavalcade. Uh, Road Rager, Fighter Fest. They're going all out as they hit the road again, starting next week on, I believe, July 7th, right near me in Miami, Florida. But this is an absolutely loaded show, as I said, so we're not going to waste much time off the top. Here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, we are only about one thing. It's all about Defy. Stop being marks for yourselves and So stop being marks for yourselves. Head on over to Apple Podcasts. Be a mark for the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast and let people know that this show is all about the five. Five Five-star ratings, five-star reviews. We want people to know why you love this show and why they should listen to the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Also, please do not forget to head on over to Twitter. Follow us at Getting Overcast. If you don't have a Twitter account, Head on over to Twitter, make one, and follow us at Getting Overcast. And there's a myriad reasons why you should, because not only do we tweet live about wrestling all week long, and I think those of you who interact with us, particularly during NXT and AEW shows, uh, it can be a lot of fun to go back and forth. But we talk about all four major shows live while they're happening each week. We do live audio previews on Twitter spaces ahead of major pay-per-views and special events. And we also have pre- and post-show polls that you can participate in to let us know what you think uh, ahead of pay-per-views and coming out of them. And by the way, you can also send us tweets and direct messages so we can read your questions and wrestling thoughts on the show. Now, as I did allude to, we have a packed show today. So I actually do not have DMs or tweets because really you guys sent thoughts that I already had that I'm already reading as part of the show. Uh, But don't forget, you know, questions get read easier on the podcast than thoughts because it allows us to get into topics that maybe we weren't considering or weren't planning to touch on as the show is about to begin. So we're going to kick things off momentarily. Just a reminder for those of you who may be new listening to our NXT and AEW episodes, we separate things right down the middle. So we start by talking about NXT, then we go into AEW. But in our episode descriptions, we have timestamps for every single segment. And that's the same across every show that we produce. So if you want to hear NXT, great. If you're listening right before Great American Bash next Tuesday, and you just want a quick preview of that, you can skip ahead to a timestamp on that. And if you only listen to AEW or you heard our NXT stuff and you want to come back later and listen to AEW, there's a timestamp to go skip and listen to the AEW portion of the podcast. So there will be you know at least three timestamps on this show. I haven't written description yet. Uh, but you'll be able to skip around as necessary. Of course, as always, the Silver King hopes you listen from start to finish. And as I said, we will start with NXT. Now, the way we're going to break up NXT is we're going to talk about everything that happened 
on Tuesday's show that does not relate to Great American Bash. And then we're going to circle back and discuss the rest as part of the Great American Bash preview. So let's start with the main event on Tuesday, the biggest news coming out of NXT. We had a surprise out of nowhere, previously unbooked North American Championship match between Bronson Reed and Isaiah Swerve Scott. And generally, when something like that happens and it goes and ends up main eventing a show, you know something fishy might be up. So Bronson Reed was putting over the NXT breakout tournament. We'll discuss that a little bit later when Hit Row approached him and talked all kinds of trash. A challenge was made and accepted for the same show in the main event. And at first, I was a little disappointed to see Swerve's title chance get rushed and thrown onto a regular TV show without any promotion or build when it felt like they were going to make this into a big showdown. I thought we were going to possibly get Swerve against Santos Escobar, possibly in a number one contendership type of match with the winner going on to face Bronson Reed. I thought there was a possibility for a triple threat. They still could have done that on this show. They didn't do those things. The reasoning was crystal clear in the moment and especially after the match of why they went Bronson Reed versus Swerve one-on-one. So as far as the match goes, and that was really the entire build across the whole show. Reed dominated Swerve early. He did a bonsai drop on the ring apron, which I thought was really cool. Uh, During the commercial break, Swerve hit a running double stomp off the ring apron, pushing Reed into the barricade. Then he bounced Reed chest first off the ropes for an assisted German suplex. They had a really long, great exchange with Reed catching Swerve rolling with a Death Valley bomb. Hit Row distracted the referee. They attacked Reed outside the ring. When the referee started admonishing them and yelling at them, he concentrated more on Ashanti the Adonis. So Top Dollar took that opportunity. He charged at Bronson Reed, who dodged him, and Top Dollar flew, literally, through the hockey glass in what was an absolutely ridiculous spot. This is a former NFL lineman, just absolutely taking out the glass, no helmet, no pads, no nothing. It was insane. And that spot would have been the thing that we remember coming out of NXT, if not for how the match finished. And it's going to get overlooked in the grand scheme of wrestling this week, but it was a ridiculous spot. I want to give Top Dollar a lot of credit for that AJ Francis. I just wanted to linger on it, like I said, because it was sick. Anyway, after that happened, Reed tossed Ashante over the barricade right onto Top Dollar, and Ashante was hysterical, like checking on Top Dollar before this all happened. It was it was a really good like 15, 20 second moment that again is just going to get overlooked. So I do suggest going back and watching it a second, third, fourth time, which is what I did after NXT went off the air, because it was legitimately funny. Anyway, uh, he threw Ashanti over the barricade right onto the top dollar. And then as Reed was getting back in the ring, Swerve caught him with house call and then got him leaning over the bottom rope with a 450 splash onto his back to become the new North American champion. This was classic heel stable work to create a title change while simultaneously a really good piece of booking to keep a face in Bronson Reed strong. It was an excellent match with a hectic finish. That put it over the top for me at 3.75 stars, let's say in a B plus, regardless of the interference. I'm probably overrating it a little bit just because I love Swerve so much, but I don't really care because I'll happily admit my bias for him and Reed for that matter. I really like both guys. It was a tremendous piece of booking with exception to the rushed nature of the entire thing. My only detraction really was that we got another short North American championship reign 
which is the fourth of the last five, to be about two months or less since Keith Lee vacated that title about a year ago. And that is obviously disappointing. But for them to strap the rocket and pull the trigger with Hit Row in this way, and with Swerve in particular, who I've been singing his praises for two years now on this show, and even longer on the old podcast, because Swerve has it. For them to, you know, take this momentum and put it right behind Hit Row is great. NXT clearly knows what it has with this fashion. It's special. It's unique. It's just real. Hit Row feels real. And you can't always say that about WWE groups, stables, factions, whatever you want to call them. Now, the obvious questions are why this happened and what's next. With Reed reportedly being backstage recently at Raw tapings, he appeared on an episode of WWE Main Event that show that they tape for Hulu and internationally, it really feels like a call-up is obvious. Another potential scenario is Karrion Cross getting called up to NXT, which would position Reed to possibly take the title off him at the next takeover without doing the entire double champion shtick that failed when they tried it with Keith Lee because they had him basically relinquish the North American Championship. However, this feels a bit too rushed for that to be the booking given that Cross has a match with Johnny Gargano upcoming at a date we don't know about. We'll talk about that in a moment. And they had Great American Bash coming up next week. They easily could have put this title match on that show and just pushed another non-title match off of it and thrown it onto NXT this week. Now, we just talked about this whole thing with Karrion Cross, Bronson Reed. We talked about all of it on Tuesday's WWE show, but I didn't really expect for it to happen this fast. To repeat what I said then, Reed is the one guy I would not call up to the main roster. His talent and skill are obvious. He's going to be very good on the main roster. He has great size. They can do a lot of really fun things with him. But he could have just used more seasoning in NXT in terms of fully developing his character and more importantly, his mic work as he would move, let's say, into the main event picture and start going toe-to-toe with an Adam Cole, a Kyle O'Reilly, a Karrion Cross, who, by the way, is very good on the mic. So while Reed is extremely talented and he's totally deserving of a main roster call-up, it just feels like it's rushed to me and not rushed in the way of like when Apollo Crews went up or Elias, because those were guys who didn't really do much in NXT and you might as well move them up and see if you can make something out of them, which to their credit, Elias right away, Apollo Crews a couple years later, WWE eventually did. But with Reed, it just kind of feels like they're shoving him up there because they have some talent gaps and they see that he has potential. So they're like, all right, let's just move him up now. I would wait until after SummerSlam. I would draft him. You know, I don't think this guy just needs to randomly debut on a Monday or a Friday, kind of coming in out of nowhere. So we'll see what WWE does. Maybe I'm putting the cart before the horse and they just wanted to take the title off him. He's going to do a final feud in NXT, and then he'll leave. But if they just like bring him up Monday or Friday, it's just going to feel rushed to me. So I just think it was a little bit strange that they took the title off of him so quickly when they could have built this up a little bit more and really made it a key promotional tool, whether it's for a card like Great American Bash or whether it's just for a big NXT episode in a couple of weeks. Now, lending even more credence to the idea that Reed and possibly Karrion Cross sooner than later are getting called up is that the NXT breakout tournament is set to begin in two weeks on July 13th. 
This was incredible in 2019. It was a great way to put over a lot of new faces and get them into the forefront of NXT. And as you saw from the video package that they gave you, a lot of those faces are the big stars in NXT right now. And that's pretty cool to see. If Cross, Reed, and possibly others are going to get called up soon, which is what happened around the last time they did this tournament, then it makes complete sense to build some new NXT stars with this event. There were no names announced for it, but I am excited to see it all go down. And just giving you the first blush guess, that guy Carmelo Hayes, he's super impressive. I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up winning the entire thing, but we're going to have to see the entire field. I'm also curious to see how big the field is. Is it only going to be eight guys? Are they going to go up to 16? You know, that will be interesting. And by the way, I would love to see a female version of this in the future as well, especially in NXT, where they have plenty of talent. That's a really good way to give someone like a Zoe Stark or Zayda Ramir, one of those type women, a really big push and a big opportunity. And don't forget, the winner of the breakout tournament also gets an NXT championship shot. So that's just something else that I should mention within everything else. Now, I did mention Karrion Cross a couple times. Let's move over to his storyline. Johnny Gargano attacked him backstage while he was entering the Capitol Wrestling Center. Cross later dared Gargano to meet him face-to-face in the ring. Gargano said he outsmarted him, and the ring was where he thrived because he actually has talent, unlike Karrion Cross. That's a strong line. He distracted Cross. Austin Theory attacked Cross from behind. Cross beat the absolute shit out of both of them, and he was about to dump steel steps onto Gargano when security and Samoa Joe ran out and stopped him. Gargano hit a super kick with security kind of holding Cross back, and then the way he dipped out of the CWC as Cross stared Joe down, getting angry at him. Cross was getting in his car later when Theory distracted him and Gargano attacked, ramming his car door into his head like three or four times. Gargano then trash-talked into the camera when Cross literally just rose, stood up right behind Gargano, completely choked him out, and then hit Theory with the forearm finisher into a garage door before driving off. Joe grabbed Gargano by the shirt and then dragged him back inside to the CWC like a child or like a principal disciplining a student, something like that, which was hilarious, of course. Gargano was clearly the face here, getting huge cheers, and the entire opening segment got the crowd hot. Three attacks and a promo did a better job building this match than a lot of main roster feuds we get, and this match isn't even on the Great American Bash card. So my expectation was we were going to get a title match next week. As it turns out, we're not. And I don't know when they're doing it, a future NXT episode, maybe they're saving it for the takeover, but it seems like a way too hot, strong, and quick build to have this match like six weeks from now. So I have to assume that we're getting it sooner than later. The only thing that was kind of shit was Cross standing up completely unfazed after getting his head smashed in with a car door. The invincible booking of this guy is ridiculous. I don't want to assume too much with Cross backstage at WWE shows recently, as we mentioned about Reed, but there's a clear and legitimate possibility of a title change when this match does happen, or of course, they could easily save it for a SummerSlam weekend, which I think is more likely doing it at the takeover. There's reportedly going to be one the Sunday night after SummerSlam, which is very unique and kind of a flip in what how WWE used to do things with SummerSlam being on a Saturday this year. That's the weekend I would expect the title change. But they could possibly do it with Johnny Gargano. Um, You know, if they're going to take the title off Reed this quickly, then taking it off Cross not too far after would make a lot of sense if both of these guys are getting called up. But again, if I was booking the territory, if I was WWE, 
I would have these title changes a little bit later, crosses I would do at the takeover, and I would call them up within the confines of the WWE draft, which would also include NXT drafting one or two main roster people as well. I like that idea of the talent being able to go back and forth, refreshing the rosters. People just only going one way for me, it shouldn't work in that you know direction only. NXT, when they bring in someone, you can see that everyone else there gets a little bit rejuvenated. Ember Moon coming back, you know, business picked up. Finn Balor coming back, obviously, was massive. Brizango a little bit less, but fans did like seeing them and they filled the gap because NXT's tag team division at the time had a lot of issues. So I'd love to see NXT bring up, if Cross, definitely, Reed if they want, a women's tag team, let's say, and WWE can send down like two male superstars and just kind of see what happens with them in NXT. Maybe a couple people who need a little bit more seasoning. Angel Garza could easily go back down, maybe with Korea, both of them. Uh, Hell, if Ali, Mustafa Ali is not going to get significant time and pushes on the main roster, send Ali down, make him NXT champion, and then send him back up. There's all myriad different things that WWE could do. I just hope they treat it a little bit more like sports, a little more like a real draft, rather than call people up, you know, within four to six weeks before you have a draft and they could possibly get chosen to go to a different brand. So that's really all I wanted to say about that. Let's move on and talk about more from the NXT show on Tuesday. Roderick Strong faced Asher Hale in a singles match. Diamond Mine was at ringside. They were acting kind of like they were watching a sparring session, all huddled together by the ring post. Strong caught Hale with a Uranagi backbreaker, then a jumping knee and a headlock submission for the win. Malcolm Bivens said this was just the beginning. And really that was it. The match was fine. But Bivens is the one who can give Diamond Mine life. He needs to be able to speak. So I was disappointed to not get more from him in this segment. I don't know how you debut a new faction and not let them state their mission two weeks in a row. You need to tell me why I should care about Diamond Mine besides the fact that they attacked Kushida. They didn't even really mention it. They didn't have them cut a promo against Kushida. They did nothing. So for me, it was a definite mistake and an area of massive improvement that we can see from NXT. We also got a tag team match, a mixed tag team match, Tien Shaw versus Mercedes Martinez and Jake Atlas. There's a nice touch to Tien Shaw matches, I should mention, where the video screens around the CWC light up with torches instead of the faces of fans. It makes it feel special. And I just think it you know, gives those matches a cool little touch. This was Boa's first public match in front of any type of crowd in 612 days, nearly two calendar years. Martinez hit an avalanche double underhook suplex. The faces double team Boa and Martinez knocked Zaya down. When Mei Ying rose from her throne, distracting Martinez, Zaya hit a pump handle exploder and then a roundhouse kick that connected right with Martinez's jaw. She was bleeding from the mouth. She looked glassy-eyed. The referee started counting a fall, but smartly stopped. Martinez's shoulders weren't even down because she was all crumpled up from the kick. And she saw Martinez, called the match right away. They ended it with a referee stoppage, which is very good. I love that WWE pounces on those types of things. But this was a really scary moment that is obviously a concussion. It could also be a broken jaw and more. So we're going to find out hopefully sooner than later. I really hope she's okay. Of course, that's the number one priority is Martinez being okay. There's really not much to say about the match. Otherwise, Boa was okay. And Zaya just has to be better than that. I don't think she's seriously injured someone before, but I do believe she's connected, you know, strong style 
with a couple of her kicks in the past. And she's just got to be able to learn to pull those back and be a little bit safer in the ring. Uh, but it was a hell of a shot. And a, if you're talking about a highlight package and building up Tian Sha into something serious, it does work in that you know respect if they decide to show it. But again, the number one priority is Mercedes Martinez being okay, veteran in the industry, kind of just starting to find her footing in NXT. And it would be really unfortunate, not just if she's hurt, obviously we don't want her to be hurt, but if it keeps her out for a significant period of time, that would obviously suck as well. So best wishes to Mercedes Martinez. William Regal was going over the Great American Bash card backstage ahead of next week when Saray approached and asked literally as politely as possible, almost like a kitten, like, please, sir, uh, for a match against Tony Storm next week that Regal said he would consider. And I said next week, presumably in two weeks after Great American Bash. That's going to be awesome whenever it happens. Saray, Tony Storm, that's a banger just waiting to happen. Um, I assume that Regal will obviously approve the match whenever it happens. And then we also got the battery charging vignette type of video going from 60 to 61 and then 71 and then 81 before the night was over. So clearly we're going to see this person debut or return at the Great American Bash next week. I'm still going to roll with Tegan Knox being the person, but it could also be Ridge Holland. It's going to be one of those two I have a feeling just because it is, it seems like it's someone recharging their battery, coming back from injury, you know, something to that degree. But hey, maybe they surprise us and it's someone completely out of left field. So it'll be interesting to see what happens at the Great American Bash. So that's our breakdown of the NXT TV show as it did not relate to the upcoming event. Let's roll on to our ultimate preview of the Great American Bash, a TV special next week for NXT airing as usual on Tuesday, 8 p.m. Eastern on USA Network. So there are four announced matches right now. We're going to talk about what happened on NXT Tuesday, and then we'll give a prediction for the match and any further discussion. The first match is indeed for the Million Dollar Championship, LA Knight against Cameron Grimes. So on Tuesday, we had Grimes against Ari Sterling in a singles match. There was a really sick uh, seated inside-out springboard moonsault to the ringside area, by Sterling that's probably going to get overlooked from a week of great matches, starting Saturday with Kenny Omega and Jungle Boy all the way through Raw. There were great matches. There were other great matches on NXT and then AEW this week as well. But this move was awesome, and I think it's going to get overlooked. Sterling missed a high-risk move back inside the ring, and Grimes caught him with the cave-in for the win. By the way, Ari Sterling looks as if 205 Live was an individual human being, like a single person. If it represented the brand, that would be Ari Sterling. I just couldn't get that out of my head. This was better than the strong hail match that we mentioned earlier, but I didn't like that they ran two basic squash matches back to back. It seemed unnecessary. LA Knight came out after and called Grimes a natural born loser. Grimes said he wanted the million dollar championship to represent the legacy of the million dollar man, while Knight just wanted some bling. And then Grimes challenged him to put it up for grabs next week at Great American Bash. Knight turned him down at first and then changed his mind, saying he'd put the title on the line for Grimes if Grimes agreed to become Knight's butler should he lose. I gotta say, Knight was strong here. Once again, his swagger and promos have improved tremendously now that he's not so boring and repetitive. Again, I'll say it. I still don't like the name. I don't like the entrance music. I don't like the aesthetic of the character. But the last three weeks... Yes, he's growing on me. He's improved. Credit where it's due. LA Knight, the direction is moving upward. Now, the Butler stipulation is fine and interesting. Technically, 
AEW just did this recently with Miro and Chuck and Kip Sabian. The idea of Grimes, though, becoming the Virgil, tonight's million dollar man, is interesting and it could be fun. I don't exactly know how this match is going to go. Because on one hand, we talked about it from TakeOver in your house. Grimes should have won the million dollar championship. You don't need two guys doing a rich gimmick. But now that Knight is the champion, are you really going to turn around one month later, maybe even less than one month later, and immediately change the championship and have Grimes win it? I don't think you do. So I actually am going to go with LA Knight winning this, Grimes becoming Knight's butler, and somehow, some way down the line, maybe at this takeover SummerSlam weekend, which is, you know, like I said, still six weeks away, we figure out a way, and I say we, NXT figures out a way to get one more match between Knight and Grimes, where Grimes is no longer the butler and he becomes the million dollar champion. I could be wrong. I, you know, they could easily have Grimes win a Great American Bash and get a crowd pop and, and just kind of fix the booking, which I know they did on purpose, but to me, they did incorrectly. But if you're going to do the Butler stipulation, you follow through with it. And I don't, I can't recall a situation where that was a stipulation and the follow through didn't happen. So I'm going to go with LA Knight, which is probably a little bit of an upset, at least as far as the Silver King picking this match and trying to book the damn territory. We do have a women's tag team championship also on the show. The Way will be defending their titles. We'll talk about their challengers in a moment. We had a number one contendership on Tuesday, Ember Moon and Shotzi Blackheart against Raquel Gonzalez and Dakota Kai against Io Shirai and Zoe Stark. Right off the top here, they did this match appropriately with the triple threat tag team rules, three women, all legal at the same time. It seems like a small thing to praise, but the number of triple threat matches across multiple companies and multiple brands that don't operate that way, it's just maddening when it comes to tag teams. So good on NXT for doing this the right way. There was a sixth sequence with a springboard moonsault outside by Shirai, a tope suicida by Blackheart, and a middle rope cannonball by Moon, plus an Escalera splash by Stark, all outside. This was an insanely hot start to the match, and every team got to shine. Gonzalez stopped a super duperplex by taking out all four women. Shirai hit the moon over moonsault onto Gonzalez and Kai simultaneously when Raquel tried to save her partner. Blackheart then hit Gonzalez with a senton. Stark took Blackheart out with her awesome finisher. Moon hit the eclipse, which Stark sold like absolute death. Kai hit the GTK, and then Shirai last hit the moon over moonsault for a second time for the one, two, three to become number one contenders along with Zoe Stark. This was an outstanding match, an absolute banger from start to finish. The end was a bit formulaic with the finisher exchange, but that's to be expected from any match like this. All six of the women could have been on the main roster yesterday. All three tag teams could be on the main roster yesterday. This women's division is absolutely stacked and WWE actively needs to thin it out and improve their other brands. I was pumped watching this. I'm right on the line between... 3.75 stars, which is a B plus, four stars, which is an A minus. I'm right there. I'm trying to toe the line. Maybe I'll go with 3.75 because it was a TV match, even though it was pay-per-view quality. It was fantastic. It just did get a little slow in the middle. And then the finish, the finisher spam at the end, you know, it's fine and it was great and entertaining, but that doesn't necessarily make for the best psychology to end a match. The way then taunted the new number one contenders later in the show Candice LeRae told Stark to watch her back. 
when they lose because Shirai is a sore loser. And Shirai reminded Larray that she's never defeated her in NXT. I thought that was a nice quick segment to sell the match for next week at the Great American Bash. So we do have the way against Io Shirai and Zoe Stark. And this women's tag team championship, it has been a hot potato. You want to, you know, we talked earlier about the North American championship changing hands two months here, two months there. This thing, it seems every other week is changing hands. So I absolutely would not in any way book Io Shirai and Zoe Stark to win. The way here, do they come into the match as underdogs? I guess, yes, if you were booking it or betting on it in the real sports perspective, Io Shirai and Zoe Stark would probably be the favorites coming in due to their talent, due to the fact that Indy Hartwell, if you're actually booking it and like thinking in terms of her real character, is somewhat of a neophyte still in NXT. Yes, Zoe Stark is as well, but she's come in with an absolute bang. So despite Shirai and Zoe Stark being the favorites on a real life odds board, I have the way winning and retaining the titles here. Stark can take the fall, not get hurt. Shirai can get pissed at Stark. That can be an interim feud between the two of them. And Lorraine basically already put it up there. She said Shirai is a sore loser and basically told Stark, hey, watch out because you guys are going to end up fighting. I would like to see that come to fruition. The heels be correct. Shirai and Stark, you know, get into a little bit of a feud. Shirai as it stands is a tweener anyway. And the way moves on as champions. We just can't have another women's tag team championship change. It's getting, you know, ridiculous at this point, And we need to keep the titles on the way for an extended period of time. So let's do that. We'll move over to the men's tag team championship. MSK defending against Tommaso Ciampa and Timothy Thatcher. MSK met their opponents in the ring. All four of them sat in steel chairs and kind of leaned into each other, cutting a back and forth promo in a segment. I loved it. The, just the way it was produced, the whole thing was great. Ciampa literally quoted Men in Black to start the promo, which I thought was funny. And the crowd popped as he said that they're the favorites, Champa and Thatcher, despite being the challengers. MSK said they respected them as veterans and the crowd chanted, Champa's gonna kill you. They didn't seem to get the same respect back. So Nash Carter slapped Champa across the face. Champa didn't move. Thatcher tried to attack MSK. Champa stopped Thatcher from attacking them and promised they would take MSK's pride and titles next week before leaning in and kissing Nash Carter on the cheek. The crowd booed MSK again for no reason. It's really getting on my nerves. The only people that are being popped by that two rows of fans booing MSK is the two rows of fans. MSK are the faces. Cheer them. Everyone else in the CWC seems to want to. It's this one group that has a long-standing issue with them for something they tweeted like five years ago about that NXT girl, Izzy, who was like Bailey's you know, biggest supporter. It's convoluted and ridiculous why MSK is getting booed. That crowd was great actually on Tuesday for everything else except this. The champ is going to kill you, champ. That's fine because really both of these teams are basically faces going in. But the booing of MSK, it's ridiculous. It's getting on my nerves and the crowd needs to be better. I am never one to tell a promoter, hey, go to the crowd and tell them how to react. I think that's ridiculous. The crowd should be able to react how it wants. But if I was Paul Levesque, I would go before the pay-per-view and pull like that one group of like eight people aside and and say, guys, what are you doing here? Like you're actively hurting the show by doing this. Please stop. And they sit right in the front row, right across from camera side. You know what I would probably do actually if I was NXT? I wouldn't do that. I would take them off that side. I'd put them on the other side of the CWC. I'd put them off camera. That's what I would do. 
And then when they kind of learned their lesson, I put them back on camera. Again, I am not one to tell fans how they have to cheer or boo. But in this particular case, when they're trying to get the attention on themselves and subvert a storyline in a seating area that has less than 300 people, it's an issue and they should be better. And NXT should honestly demand better. If I was them, I would demand better in that circumstance. Now I knew this match, getting back to the actual match, I knew this match would bang next week, but this was a great sell job for the show in a pretty unexpected type of confrontation. The kiss was perfect and it was perfect Champa. It wasn't just perfect in the moment, but it was a perfect representation of Champa. This came out of nowhere for me as a really damn good and super intense segment that got me excited for the match next week. Now, the problem is, this is the one match on the card that I really don't think I can accurately predict because MSK is over. MSK is the champions. They've done a great job with the titles. But Champa and Thatcher are formidable opponents. And they're a couple guys where you really don't necessarily think either of them should lose to a team as relatively diminutive as MSK when they are going to beat the shit out of them. My assumption here is that the grizzled young veterans somehow, someway are going to get involved. Whether it's distracting both parties or whether it's only distracting Champ and Thatcher, I'm not exactly sure. But we know that the grizzled young veterans versus MSK is the feud. It should be the title feud and the veterans should be the ones to take the titles off of MSK. So I'm not sure how the booking is going to lay out but my expectation ultimately is that MSK retains the titles and beats Thatcher for them. If it goes another way, I'd be surprised, but I wouldn't be shocked if Champa and Thatcher won the titles because MSK, despite only being in NXT for a finite period of time, a very short period of time, they could be a main roster call-up. They would bring a lot of excitement to a tag team division, namely on SmackDown, which could use another tag team. I think they're gonna stay I think they're just getting started. I think they're going to retain the titles. Just giving another potential option for how this could be booked. And then lastly, what will be the main event? Adam Cole against Kyle O'Reilly in a singles match. O'Reilly said a bunch of nothing in a promo calling out Cole. Before Cole could speak, Samoa Joe came out and he stood between them with security on stage. Cole said O'Reilly is obsessed with him. He was the star of Undisputed Era and all of O'Reilly's success is because of Cole and even his wife knows it. O'Reilly said he's ashamed that he was even associated with Cole. They started butting heads kind of like Rams, and then Joe broke it up. Then Cole tried to sneak attack, but O'Reilly caught him in a heel hook. Cole tapped and screamed, begging Joe to stop it. Joe just kind of looked at him, and he kind of let it happen and let him scream in agony for 20 to 30 seconds before finally calling security. O'Reilly let off the heel hook eventually. O'Reilly's dorky, but otherwise, this was a really fire segment with Joe playing a fantastic savage enforcer type of role. It's a really good match setup, but as I've said numerous times, I just wish there was a stipulation here. However, the last time we talked about this, when Regal first made the Cole versus O'Reilly rematch, I I said two different things. The first thing was, it's weird that they started with an unsanctioned match and now they're just going to a sanctioned match. And there's no stipulation, nothing special about it. But because of the trajectory of this, I also believe that what I said at that time, which was probably two weeks ago, I think, at this point, I think what I said then is going to wind up being true, which is that this is only the second 
of a three-match series between O'Reilly and Adam Cole. He had O'Reilly win the first one, the unsanctioned match. You're going to have Adam Cole, I think, on Tuesday win this match, this rematch with Kyle O'Reilly. And I do believe we are headed for a third and final match at TakeOver SummerSlam weekend, again, if that show happens, or whatever TakeOver we get in the month of August. I think we get a third match. I don't know whether it is Loser Leaves Town, which I've been begging them to do on this podcast for the better part of, I don't know, three months. But I think it will be. And I think that is how they finally take Adam Cole off of NXT and move him over to the main roster. Because in kayfabe, Cole doesn't want to leave NXT because he's dominated there. It's his brand in his eyes. He's been the greatest NXT champion of all time. So there's going to need to be a stipulation to force him off the brand. And I think that's how they do it. So just to repeat, Adam Cole evens it up 1-1. He beats Kyle O'Reilly on Tuesday. And they end up with a rubber match, probably at the next takeover. Loser leaves town stipulation. It's a little bit of booking the damn territory, a little bit of a prediction. That's how I think this is all going to go down. So just to wrap up with NXT, it was a really exceptionally strong show on Tuesday. That is now three or four weeks in a row where NXT has just been banger after banger after banger. And there is no doubt that the Great American Bash next week is going to be a stacked show as well. Those four matches I just talked about can all bring the house down. They all have match of the night potential. I'm really excited to see this show. And I hope that NXT does what they did with Halloween Havoc, what they've done with the last Great American Bash. They treat it like it's a takeover show and they don't give you too much other extraneous stuff in between. It's four matches. You've got two hours plus commercials. Break everything down. You can average anywhere between, you know, 15 to 22 minutes per match. And that's what I hope we get across these four matches on this show. I'm very excited for it. So with NXT in the books, let's move over to AEW Dynamite. Again, we are going to be breaking down two shows at once. And the way we're going to do it is not show by show, but storyline by storyline. So if we're talking Kenny Omega, we're going to talk about everything that happened with Kenny Omega across two shows. And then we're going to move over to the next person. It's going to get, it may get a little convoluted, I should say, here and there, but I will do my best to keep things separate, keep them clear and discuss everything within the storyline context. Now, before before we get into the segment-by-segment, match-by-match breakdown for these two AEW Dynamites, let me first start off by saying this. Saturday's special show was the best AEW episode in a month. A lot of it was forgettable, but it was bookended nicely with really strong matches and a few interesting storylines. And then AEW came back Wednesday with its best show in probably... I don't know, two months, maybe even three months. It was very strong top to bottom, again with two great matches bookending the episode. So let's get into it. We'll talk Saturday and Wednesday, and I will differentiate both of them for you. On Saturday, the main event for the AEW World Championship, Kenny Omega defending against Jungle Boy. Now, Christian Cage interrupted Jungle Boy doing a promo backstage to give him some advice and additional motivation. It was a cool moment, and it makes me think, that Christian may wind up being Kenny Omega's next challenger, either at the next pay-per-view or if he retains the title, perhaps the one after that. The match got 19 minutes, which I'd say is just enough time. Jungle Boy got a standing ovation and a theme song sing-along, and the crowd was amped up from the start for the entire match. I notably like that before the bell, or right after the bell, close to it, the referee ejected the Good Brothers 
and Jurassic Express, which allowed us to know, hey, we're going to get a real one-on-one match, hopefully without a lot of BS. Omega outsmarted and dominated Jungle Boy early, but Jungle Boy came back with a sequence of three topes and a step through DDT. Omega answered with a cross-legged superplex for a near fall, plus a snapdragon suplex and a V-trigger before Jungle Boy countered one-wing angel into a poison rana. Jungle Boy had some more counters and eventually he locked in the snare trap. The Good Brothers, Jurassic Express, and Frankie Kazarian all briefly ran down, but they took each other out and Omega kind of escaped the snare trap. Jungle Boy then countered One-Winged Angel again into a stack for a near fall and got the snare trap in a second time, but Omega escaped a second time. Jungle Boy then kicked out after a V-Trigger and a Tiger Driver 98, and Omega immediately capitalized, hitting the One-Winged Angel for the win. This was a hell of a match. It was a great TV main event, total banger. It was on par last week. This is when I wrote the note and compared it with Drew McIntyre against Riddle at 4.25 stars and an A for TV match of the week. They were different matches, both extremely entertaining. I think the crowd may have given Omega and Jungle Boy an edge if I had to pick which one was quote unquote better. McIntyre Riddle was a little bit more my speed, if that makes sense. But both of them last week were incredible matches. Uh, Christian afterward saved Jungle Boy from a belt shot. Then the HFO attacked Christian and the Young Bucks stopped him from hitting the kill switch on Matt Hardy. Then Hardy hit the twist of fate. I just wish AEW could go off the air after an incredible match without WCW style chaos. But it really seems like nine times out of 10, they can't. Now I give them credit because Wednesday, they had a similarly great match in the main event and they basically allowed the show to go off the air with the fallout of that match rather than this chaotic bullshit that they had to do after Omega Jungle Boy. So I hated that they had to add that at the end for no reason whatsoever, but that didn't really detract from the match, which was fantastic. At a minimum though, you have to allow Jungle Boy to get some cheers, some ovation, getting to his feet, you know, after the brawl. My final thought is just, this was an excellent match. And again, the post-match unnecessary. Now on Wednesday, Jungle Boy faced Jack Evans in a singles match. Christian was back giving a pep talk about having a chance to be the first to get his 50th win, he being Jungle Boy. Luchasaurus came in and said he'd have Christian's back going forward. So it's obvious that they're all going to get involved in this HFO feud. Jungle Boy easily beat Jack Evans with the snare trap. The HFO attacked predictably afterwards, but Christian and Jurassic Express made the save and Christian choked out Matt Hardy with his jacket. So it's clear they're moving forward. There'll probably be a six or eight man match, something like that between Jurassic Express, Christian, you know, and members of the HFO. And then I'm sure eventually we will get Christian versus Matt Hardy probably at the next pay-per-view. Now, staying with the main event storyline and Kenny Omega, we'll go back to Saturday where Hangman Adam Page faced Powerhouse Hobbs in a singles match. I got to give credit because Jim Ross dropped maybe his best line in two years of AEW as Page walked to the ring, talking about getting ready for Cowboy Shiznit. No doubt there was some beef flying in the ring to open this show. Page is better, in my opinion, against guys his size and smaller. And Hobbs is still pretty green. And you could tell he was somewhat bothered by the heat and humidity. I live in Florida, so I totally get it. I cannot imagine wrestling outdoors in July, let alone being a guy his size wrestling outdoors in July. Ricky Starks and Hook ran down after 10 minutes with the FTW title. 
Brian Cage reclaimed it. Hobbs turned around and countered the buckshot lariat with a ridiculous spinebuster, but the production totally missed the spot. It was a great surprise near fall. It doesn't take away from it. Page then hit a deadlift German suplex and Deadeye for the win. The finish was good, and I like how AEW sometimes finds creative ways to give losers excuses without direct interference factoring into the immediate finish or disqualification, which of course is what WWE does a lot of time. I cannot go higher than three, maybe 3.25 stars, but it was a solid opener for the show and it was an entertaining, very good match. On Wednesday, Taz said that Team Taz had breaking news. He said Cage will defend the FTW Championship against Starks on July 14th because sometimes families need to fight. They're trying to load up these shows, so this is an interesting booking. Unless Team Taz interferes and excommunicates Cage, you have to believe that he's going to end up winning the match and retaining the title. But if they decide to kick Cage out of Team Taz, then Hobbs attacking him, Hook attacking him, whoever, and Starks becoming the FTW champion would obviously be a possibility. Also on Wednesday, and more importantly on Wednesday, Kenny Omega grabbed a mic and bragged about beating the best AEW has to offer and there being no one left to challenge him. So he decided he's going to take time off, wrestle in other promotions, defend the other titles until someone steps up. And that let out Dark Order with Evil Uno going to bat for Hangman Adam Page without saying his name. Omega said he didn't think Page, also without saying his name, would want Uno to speak for him and that Page doesn't have the guts to challenge him, let alone beat Kenny for the AEW title. Omega then turned his back to Dark Order, did his entire goodbye before walking off. And then later backstage, Page had a drink already in his hand, some whiskey, screaming at Dark Order for speaking for him. But instead of reacting negatively, everyone in Dark Order supported him and told him to accept that it's finally his time. He deserves the championship match. And if he just so happens to fail in the match, it's okay because we're all human. So this was easily, without question, Omega's best promo segment since becoming champion and one of his three or four best since the start of AEW. He was defiant, he was disrespectful, and it was great how they kept indirectly referencing Paige without blatantly saying his name. Then you get the backstage segment, that ties the entire thing together with Paige reacting as one would expect. Now, I'd prefer Omega having a bit of a break between title defenses as Paige struggles to come around and formally get into his head and challenge for the championship in a few weeks. They've taken their time to this point with Omega and Paige and the idea of Paige becoming AEW champion. So there's really no need to rush it now. The only reason or only way I guess I'd be okay with a match sooner than later would be if Omega and Paige fight, it goes down to the wire, there's interference and Paige loses and then rebuilds himself over a one or two month period and challenges for the title at the ensuing pay-per-view. A real match, let's say in a cage, so there can't be any interference. Some type of stipulation where Omega will lose the title if it's not squeaky clean. And then Paige gets over on Omega. That would work more for me than them kind of just saying, okay, you know what? Let's do this match in three weeks. That wouldn't be as exciting. So, you know, we'll see where this goes. We'll see how quickly they book it. But I am okay with Omega having a little bit of break from defending the title as long as they're booking this properly, which to give AEW credit, this is the longest term storyline that they've had. It's been going on since the very start of the company. I have to believe they will book this expertly. We'll move off 
of this main event long storyline and, and move over to other things that happened across AEW Dynamite over the last two weeks. We have the Young Bucks against Eddie Kingston and Penta El Zero Miedo in an eliminator match for a title opportunity. So we'll start Saturday. The Bucks cut a promo in a production truck about easily beating Kingston and Penta because they're a real team and they are EVPs, extremely violent people. The Bucks just aren't for me, but I will say it was one of their strongest and most direct promos to date. Nothing frilly or stupid, just straightforward trash talk. It was very good. Kingston and Penta answered later, saying the Bucks had no idea what it's like to take people out, and the best way for them to hurt the Bucks and their egos is to eventually take their titles. It was a good promo as well. Now on Wednesday, we got the match. The Bucks came out in 80s porn stashes. Kingston did a tongue-in-cheek spot early, mocking Bubba Ray. They had a little online feud over the week. Penta went on a great run, ending with a super cool twisting code red for a 2.9 that actually looked like it was counted a three. The faces combined for a release German suplex and a backstabber for another near fall. Nick Jackson grabbed Rick Knox while low-blowing Penta, and the Bucks hit the Lucha Bros fear factor for a near fall that was broken by Kingston. Then the Good Brothers came down to distract the referee. Brandon Cutler accidentally sprayed Matt with the cold stuff. Frankie Kazarian came down to even the odds against the faces, and the faces hit fear factor plus a spinning backfist from Kingston to win and become the number one contenders for the tag team titles. Unlike most of Knox's matches, this one actually followed tag team rules for probably 75% of the match, which was a big improvement, and it massively helped my enjoyment of the entire match. I'm not sure that Kingston and Penta are the most appropriate number one contenders, and I don't think they're going to win the titles next week, but this was a good match, 3.5 stars and a B, and the rematch is surely going to be just as good, if not better. But just top to bottom, this was really well booked and well wrestled over the last two weeks. On Saturday, Conan made his first appearance inside an AEW ring to debate Tully Blanchard. I like that they brought him in to represent Santana and Ortiz, because despite there being a reality to their relationship, Conan was extremely real, talking about their tough upbringing in New York, racial profiling, people from North Carolina banging sheep, etc. Uh, Tully ensuring his grandchildren learn Spanish because it's eventually going to be in their family. And he also said Tully needs to get a job at Walmart as a greeter sooner than later. It was just really good. It was MVP-esque in terms of providing realism and depth to some characters and to a storyline. Tully got absolutely dominated on the mic. He couldn't even really answer him. Conan then called out Santana and Ortiz to join him in the ring. He was easily fooled by FTR wearing masks which was really silly, and he got hit with a spike pile driver while Santana and Ortiz were laid out backstage in a beatdown. Credit to Conan for taking the bump, but the finish just was a letdown for me to what was otherwise an extremely strong segment. And then on Wednesday, following this up, Jake Hager actually surprised me with a competent promo before Santana and Ortiz took over to promise that Pinnacle would get an ass whooping in a six-man tag team match next week, and Conan is going to be in their corner for that match. Now, sticking with the inner circle and pinnacle, let's move over to the main event on Wednesday, which was MJF versus Sammy Guevara in a big time rivalry match on Saturday. Sammy got attacked in the parking lot by Sean Spears, who hit him with a chair. Considering these guys have all kicked the shit out of each other into big stipulation match recently, a single chair shot was pretty weak, I have to say. MJF later cut a promo tearing down Dean Malenko being old and getting involved. The inner circle attacked and the factions brawled. Sammy saved Chris Jericho from getting a chair shot to the arm. He also nailed Spears with a chair in retaliation. 
There were big Sammy chants, and he said AEW chose the wrong young guy to promote because he's better than MJF, and MJF knows it. This was the opposite of the Conan segment in that it started weak and finished extremely strong. I've been singing Sammy's praises as the future of AEW since day one when this company began, so it was really awesome to see him get over, hey now, just like that. So let's move over to Wednesday and talk about this match. MJF cut a taped promo saying Jericho should know it's time to call it quits. He said he will share stipulations next week for one final match with Jericho. Then he said Sammy may be the future of AEW, but that's only because he's the present. This was one of my favorite recent MJF promos, as a lot of them have just kind of felt like parodies ever since the pinnacle started. This was old school MJF, if that can even be something you say about a guy who's like 25 years old. But I liked this promo a lot, is my point. He just crushed it. Sammy didn't really get the chance to answer, which I'd have liked going into the match, Sammy to be able to say a couple more words. But as far as the match goes, man, this thing was great. It got 25 minutes, which is what we want from a main event of this caliber. Sammy had a great springboard cutter early with a jackknife cover for a near fall. Later, a six Spanish fly off the top rope. Next was a fantastic corkscrew plancha and a Panama sunrise, but MJF kicked out again. Then Sammy did a cannonball from the top rope outside the ring over the barricade into the crowd. Very Rob Van Dam-esque. That was awesome. MJF caught Sammy going high risk again with an avalanche tombstone pile driver for a near fall in the ring. And MJF sold his knee immediately, even before the cover. At first, it was tough to tell if it was a real injury or a top tier sell job by MJF because it looked like they were going like long on the cell and trying to work out a finish. The referee went back and forth to both guys. MJF rolled over. He and Sammy whispered to each other. So it seemed to me like he really hurt his knee, but I guess it wasn't and it was just all booking. And if so, man, credit to MJF. That was a fantastic sell job to the point where even now I wouldn't be surprised if he actually did hurt his knee to some degree in that moment. Sam Lee finally hit the GTH, but when he went for the cover, he pulled MJF's foot onto the middle rope during it for a completely unforced error, which I liked. MJF begged as Sammy climbed the top rope, but he followed through with a 6.30 cent on, and MJF kicked out again. Spears came out, and then Jericho left commentary. Wardlow attacked Jericho from behind. Wardlow threw Jericho onto the floor. Spears hit Sammy with a chair, and MJF got the one, two, three to win the match. So I have really mixed thoughts on this, right? Sammy was incredible. He proved every compliment I've ever given him. So it was tremendous for him to get this opportunity and shine massively in the main event on a stage of a Wednesday show, not the Saturday show or the Friday shows that have been watched by far fewer people. So all of that was great. And the first three quarters of the match was really exciting and fun to watch, but it was a total spot fest without a shred of psychology in the first three quarters of the match. There were far too many false finishes. No one should kick out of a tombstone from the middle rope, especially a guy with an injured neck. MJF then kicked out of two of Sammy's finishers, not one. This is a normal human being here in a non-title match on television. We talk all the time about Karrion Cross, and we did on this very episode, being overbooked to the point where he's invincible. MJF should not be invincible to this degree. It was just really ridiculous in that regard. MJF sold the knee. It was fantastic. The hill interference for the finish, that was extremely well done because you know 
They're not going to have Sammy win. They needed MJF to win, but you needed Sammy to stay strong. Plus, as I said earlier, AEW didn't rush away from the match. They let it linger and they let it marinate. So you got heel heat on MJF, but you didn't get the opportunity for Sammy to get cheered, which is a criticism that I always give that they really should have been able to give that guy a moment given the performance he had in the spot. So there were a lot of pluses to this entire thing, but there were a few minuses. I saw someone already come out and say it was one of AEW's best matches, period, ever, period. That is not true for all of the reasons I just mentioned. But was it extremely entertaining? Was it a lot of fun? Was it a great main event? Yes, it was. But for me, it doesn't. It wasn't even as good as the Kenny Omega Jungle Boy match from one week prior. So I gave that one 4.25 stars, which means this one has to be slightly lower. I give this one four stars. But these two matches were fantastic. The two matches that we talked about on NXT, those were fantastic. And the riddle matches that we've gotten on back-to-back weeks on Raw, those were fantastic. So six matches in a two-week span have been absolutely tremendous. And all three brands deserve a lot of credit for them. This one was extremely entertaining. Now, let's move on from this storyline. We'll go back to Saturday. Ethan Page against Bear Bronson. Now, I haven't seen too much of Bear Country, but their masks are ridiculously awful. With the referee distracted, Page logoed Bronson, took him off the top rope with the ego's edge for the win. Again, I had no real investment in this match. The low blow replay, I will say, was pretty graphic. Uh, Page grabbed the mic afterward. He screamed into it three times that he's going to be the nail in Darby Allen's coffin and challenged him to a coffin match at Road Rager. So then on Wednesday, Page told Tony Schiavone during an interview that his goal is to exterminate Darby and injure him mentally so he thinks of Page every time he does his coffin drop finisher. Sting entered, dragging a coffin onto the ramp. A video played of Darby lighting a coffin on fire for no reason whatsoever. Then he jumped out of a coffin, which was just covered in a sheet. And they both took out the men of the year with Darby raking Page's eyes. It was a strong promo by Page, who fought off a booing crowd the entire time. He showed some good mic skills there. The attack was weak, though. Page screamed the match was off because he needs to be 100% and demanded a contract where Darby could not touch him the week prior to their match. So it looks like they're moving this off of Road Rager onto Fighter Fest the next week. These guys have a great history together, so it should be really good. Darby is obviously going to win that. And I wouldn't be surprised if the reason AEW moved this match is because of the disaster that happened in Florida with the building collapsing. They probably didn't want to do a coffin match, you know, in the same circumstance. It's the same reason why Vince McMahon and WWE, they changed the match that they were going to have with The Undertaker and AJ Styles into a boneyard match to get rid of any connotations dealing with death surrounding, you know, the COVID pandemic. So, I think this all makes sense. I have no problem with AEW moving it. Probably a smart move, but this should be exciting. Page against Darby Allen should be a really good match. The segments didn't do much for me, but I did like Page on the mic, so I do give him credit for that. We had a TNT Championship match on Wednesday. Miro defending the title against Brian Pillman Jr. On Saturday, Miro thanked God for making him powerful and his wife hot and flexible while holding a cross in his hand. Miro said he'd make Pillman pay for not respecting the TNT Champion. Mira said Pillman's bravest move was thinking about attacking him, but the stupidest was actually doing it. Miro is on an absolute roll. His promo work has been fantastic since ditching Kip Sabian. It's smart that he's getting TNT matches against guys he can beat with little doubt because it's just going to keep making him look stronger. This was another big win. 
Pillman answered back later, but it was short and unremarkable. And then on Wednesday, we got the match. Miro came out with his brand new music and a gimmick change to the Redeemer from the Best Man, which was always an absolutely terrible gimmick. The music was terrible too. The Redeemer, the new music, the new gimmick, much, much better. Pillman hit a springboard dropkick outside and then failed going feet first on a tope suicida. Miro came back with a roundhouse kick and a pump kick before winning with the accolade, which I believe is now called Game Over. So I guess it's a fine finisher name. It was not one I caught previously, but there we go. Game Over. Uh, The match went as expected and it ended not long after AEW came back from commercial break. I wouldn't necessarily say this was great. It wasn't bad. It was fine. It was totally good. On Saturday, we got Dante Martin against Matt Seidel in a singles match. Vicky Guerrero and Andrade El Idolo interrupted to make a big announcement, but Seidel interrupted both of them with his entrance. Martin was not believable to me in a number of spots, including one where he straight jumped off the ropes as if he got knocked down, but he wasn't even touched. Seidel did a sick meteora while Martin was on the canvas and later hit the lightning spiral for the win. The action was good. I had zero investment in the match though. All flash, little substance. On Wednesday, Andrade cut a taped promo in broken English about Seidel interrupting his big announcement. And then he said, all right, you know what? Let's just fight next week in a singles match at Road Rager in Miami. There was nothing really to take from this, but Andrade is making his debut next week in Miami. That should be really exciting. And I don't know what's happening with the surprise announcement now. Are they doing it next week? Are they going to do it after that? I'm not really sure, but we'll stick with um, Vicky Guerrero since we just mentioned her. We had Britt Baker and Rebel against Nyla Rose and Vicky Guerrero in a women's tag team match. On Saturday, Britt Baker cut a promo saying exactly what I did the week prior on this podcast, which is that Vicky using her quote unquote favor with Tony Khan to create a tag team match where she was competing in was absolutely idiotic. Baker's promo was strong as usual. Vicky said they're coming for the title on night two of Fighter Fest. That match wasn't even announced but AEW confirmed it after the commercial break. So I just didn't understand what they were doing. Why wouldn't she have used her favor to make the title match? And then Britt Baker says, okay, if you want that match, then I want you guys in a tag team match. Like you can still do the booking the same way, but have it actually make sense. Now to me, this match felt like a setup for Zelina Vega, Thea Trinidad to debut either taking Vicky's place or coming to her aid. But Given that the surprise seems to be more related to Andrade, I, you know, maybe it wasn't going to happen here. So the whole thing was just kind of convoluted. I wasn't sure what to expect going into it. As far as the match goes, Nyla caught Baker with a choke slam and then hung her over the top rope for a flying knee to the back of the head. Vicky stupidly tagged herself in. Baker kicked her into Rose and then got the lockjaw for the expected victory. Vicky basically no-sold the submission immediately. As soon as Baker took her hand out of her mouth, she just stood up and started screaming like, that's not a way to sell a move, let alone a finisher from the AEW Women's Champion. Nyla attacked after the bell with a powerbomb in the ring and another off the apron through a table outside. Somehow the table got set up. Vicky didn't do it. I don't know why it was there. So Baker basically happens to be a face at this point. I'm not sure how this is not a face turn for her, which I get because they want to capitalize on her. She's getting a lot of cheers and she deserves the cheers because she's been doing, doing a great job in AEW, but it's very Becky Lynch-esque. Now, it's a little bit different because Becky Lynch, obviously, they tried to make her a heel and immediately failed. With Baker, they made her a heel and it was successful, but she got so over as a heel that now she's getting cheered now that she's champion. So the entire thing works. Baker being a face is fine. But the booking of this entire thing 
the storyline, which started heel versus heel. This tag team match with Rebel and Vicky Guerrero being in it. By the way, Rebel injured herself and dislocated her knee in the match. So that sucked for her and I hope she's okay. This whole thing was straight, unadulterated garbage. Just terrible, terrible stuff. Zero point zero. So let's move on. On Saturday, Chris Statlander fought the bunny. Same spot as normal for AEW women's match, double commercial break, blah, blah, blah. Statlander hit a power slam outside and a blue thunderbomb inside for a near fall. Bunny nearly got one with an avalanche German suplex. Orange Cassidy took brass knuckles that were introduced, thrown into the ring, put him into his pants, and Statlander hit Big Bang Theory for the win. This was perfectly fine. Orange got attacked after the match by Blade and TH2. Blade grabbed the brass knucks and then knocked Orange out cold. Also fine, they're going to do a mixed tag team match next week, which should be exciting, and I'm sure Orange and Statlander will win. On Saturday, there was another Jade Cargill and Mark Sterling promo that was taped. It sucked again. I just want to see her wrestle and squash people. Why is that so difficult? What are we doing here? This is a trap. Also on Saturday, QT Marshall cut a backstage promo about needing Cody Rhodes out of the way to become a champion in AEW. I don't think any single individual believes QT Marshall is going to be a champion in AEW, but I guess they needed to promote the strap match somehow. And Cody is obviously on paternity leave with Brandy and their new child, Liberty. Um, but I just legitimately could not care less about this feud. They're doing the strap match. Okay, whatever. I don't even know if they mentioned it on Wednesday outside of maybe a promo for Road Rager. So whatever the match will happen, hopefully Cody wins and we just can finally move on from this entire thing. And lastly here, I really did not want to make a big deal out of this. So I saved it for the end of the show. But AEW aired a touching video package to close Dynamite on Wednesday. It basically looked back at the pandemic era, everything that they did at Daly's Place. That was pretty cool. And that's really how the show should have gone off the air. But AEW goes over the top when they try to promote things. And we know this all the time. They exaggerate. Jim Ross literally closed the show by saying, there's nothing in your life that would be better than attending an AEW event, which Holy hyperbole, Batman. But he didn't even get it right because this is actually what he said. There's nothing in your life that will top seeing a live WWE Dynamite. Now, I've seen people go after JR for this. He doesn't deserve that. He doesn't deserve anger. He doesn't deserve people being pissed off at him. The guy is a veteran. He's been doing wrestling commentary for decades. Yes, he recently called Kenny Omega the WWE champion a few weeks ago as well. But he worked for WWE for like 27, 28, 29, 30 years, something like that. His muscle memory as a commentator is to say WWE, especially really excited, rushing, unscripted at the end of a show. So it's not a surprise to me that JR screwed this up. However, does it deserve to be made fun of? Absolutely. And that's what I did on Twitter, Uh, you know, Wednesday night, as soon as Dynamite went off the air. So yes, you can laugh at it. Yes, you can poke fun at him and AEW, but ultimately it's a mistake. It's an error. People make these mistakes. It's not a reason to call for Jim Ross's head. It's not a reason to be angry at him. It's not a reason to demand that Tony Khan fire him. Jim Ross is doing pretty good with AEW, all things considered. It has not been the smoothest road. Yes, it's been a little bit bumpy. 
Should they look inside the next year to taking Jim Ross off commentary and have him focus on maybe being a talent scout and doing the sit-down interviews that Tony Schiavone currently does and being a special guest for major matches? I think they should. Ultimately, a two-man booth with Excalibur and Tony Schiavone with sometimes Taz and sometimes Chris Jericho popping in, sometimes Don Callis to do commentary. That's all you need for a wrestling show. Jim Ross, it's a veteran voice. It's a legendary voice. We respect him on this podcast. I do think he should be phased out of AEW commentary, but not so much for this, more for the entire package of him being a little bit slow, not necessarily knowing all the moves, and Excalibur and Tony Schiavone really carrying the broadcast at times. So again, let's lay off JR here. Let's not like crush him. But was it legitimately funny at the end of the best Dynamite in two or three months to hear him say, hey, tune in next week for WWE Dynamite? Yes, it was legitimately hysterical. And yes, we can all laugh about it. So that is it for today's show. It was a long one, much longer than usual for our Thursday episodes, a full breakdown of NXT, an ultimate preview for the Great American Bash next week, and a full breakdown of two episodes of AEW Dynamite right as that company is about to start going on the road with Road Rager and two days of Fighter Fest coming up soon. So folks, there's plenty of awesome wrestling coming up. WWE going back on the road on my birthday, July 16th, will be their first show in front of fans. All of this is happening inside of the next two weeks. We got Money in the Bank coming up. There is a lot of stuff happening. I'm very excited to bring it all to you here with the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. So you might be asking, okay, Silver King, you're giving us so much, your time, your energy. What can we do for you? I'll tell you what you can do for me. You can head on over to Apple Podcasts and remember what this show is all about. It's all about Defy. What you all can do. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Is go back to being marks for this podcast. Drop us five-star ratings. Leave us reviews. Let people know how much you love the show, why they should listen. Get into those Apple Podcast reviews, please, because every single new review, every single five-star rating helps us bump up in the ratings. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. So that is it for today's show. We will be back on Tuesday with a WWE episode, and then we will be back on Thursday with a full breakdown of NXT, The Great American Bash, and AEW Dynamite Road Rager. Busy week next week. Plenty of wrestling to talk about. I hope you all have a great weekend. I will see you on Tuesday. But for now, the Silver King is going to leave you with three final words. Bye for now.